uh, I think most people in evangelicalism, when they see a squirrel, thinks of Gene Clyde. It's really strange when you think about it. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you live from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. You can hear that the voice is coming back. I don't think it's still 100% yet, but it is definitely back. I got through my, my sermon yesterday without any problem. Um... So that was, uh, that was well, and it was good to be home last night. We had uh, a little bit of winter weather driving both ways, um, driving through the uh, mountains of western Montana. Mm. Got to drive through the little town of Lincoln, Montana, made famous nationwide as the uh, capture site of the Unabomber. That is where he had been dwelling as a hobo in a cabin in the woods um, for many years. Um, but that was, I always laugh, it's the uh, it's the, the Lincoln Lynx is the name of the high school team, and I always called them the Lincoln Unabombers just to annoy people. Um, this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. And we webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain Time on Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch. And then the audio podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. We are a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to christianpodcastcommunity.com. Check out all the great podcasts that are over there. New ones are being added all the time. I want to welcome my friend Wayne Floyd to the network with his... Uh, his podcast of daily devotionals, and uh, so was it time in the word? What does he call his show? Now I got to look it up. I'll look it up later. <laughs> anyway, it's a great show. You can go check it out. Um, there's a lot of good shows. Um, boy, uh, this week's uh, episode of of uh, uh, Voice of Reason Radio is really good. Um, talking about the Asbury revival, so you can check that out. Um, a topic that has been of much discussion in the Christian Twitter sphere and uh, everything. It's been an interesting discussion. We're going to talk a little bit more of that on Monday Meandering a little bit later. So we've got prayers from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And then we've got Monday Meanderings. Just got a couple of topics today. Um, still trying to rest up the voice. It's coming back, but uh, I still feel uncertain of it, meaning that I don't want to overtax it too much as it continues to recover. And uh, maybe I've reached that age when I need to be more careful of my voice. Um, several times recently, I have lost my voice. I remember when I was younger, um, coming home from rock concerts after yelling and singing loudly during a concert and losing my voice. So 
my voice has been abused um, going back many years. And then um, I'm used to speaking in large areas without amplification so I can project my voice. And that is putting more strain on it. I used to be able to do that without any ill effect. But I find when I do that now, then I start to have voice troubles. So I think it's a product of aging. It's maybe a problem of overuse. But I need to really start paying attention to my voice because I don't want to lose my voice. And uh, that's, a, that's an important thing. Especially if you're a preacher and a podcaster. You want to be able to keep your voice. So, let us begin, as is our practice, with the prayer of confession from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. Now a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. Trusting self is never justified. He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Matthew 4.4 4. Christians are never justified in trusting solely in themselves to meet their basic needs. No matter how worried we might become, if we turn to God in faith and obedience, He will meet all our essential needs in His own way according to his sovereign schedule. Implicit in this understanding is that God will meet every need, both physical and spiritual. As Paul promised us, may God, may God's, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's Philippians 4.19, and it's cross-reference to Matthew 6, 8, and 33. It is always best to follow Jesus' example obeying God and trusting wholeheartedly in His gracious provision, than to impulsively and selfishly attempt to meet our own needs in ways that could disobey or compromise God's Word. To trust, first of all, in ourselves to meet our needs, circumventing or modifying God's will in the process, not only demonstrates a lack of faith, but rests on the false assumption that our earthly well-being is our most crucial need. Jesus contradicts such thinking, which is so natural to fallen humanity, both to unbelievers as well as believers who slip into carnal mindsets. Therefore, our Lord, our Lord quoted Deuteronomy 8.3, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The all-sufficient and sustaining power of God is the only true source that meets our every need. Ask yourself, where does your dependence lie? Are you trusting in your paycheck, your insurance policies, your physical strength and smarts, 
Or have you finally realized that everything hinges on God, his word, and his sovereign plan for your life? Find your sense of security in him alone. All right, I will be right back in just a moment. Of course there's bad churches. Um, Then go find a good one. And if you have to drive to get to it, then it's worth the drive, I would say. You know? So get in your car and go. I mean, how bad do you want it? I mean, how important is the truth to you? And we're back. All right, Monday Meanderings. We have the Ashbury Revival Part 2. The enthusiasm goes on, and as I said earlier, it has been a conversation of great uh, participation, put it that way, um, on the Internet over this last 10 days or so since it started. It started Wednesday two weeks ago, so not last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before. So it's been going on just over a week and a half, and... There has been much sound and fury put forth over the, uh, the uh, Ashbury revival as people are, are looking at what's been going on and, and everything and arguing about, is it real, is it not real? And I, I think I kind of made myself clear on Tuesday that, you know, according to the signs of a genuine work of the Holy Spirit that, that Jonathan Edwards gave us, I'm not seeing this as an Israel. There has not been um, proclamation of the gospel. Um, You know, when when Chris Roseborough can watch 16 hours of video from the revival and not hear the gospel once, that's a sad commentary. Um, I just learned today, and I haven't been able to find a copy of the memo or email, but I just learned today that apparently when the chapel session didn't end that first uh, Wednesday when the students stayed to pray, the university president sent a campus-wide email around saying that revival was breaking out and encouraging students to go to the chapel. So... Yeah, maybe this wasn't as spontaneous as we were originally led to believe. But the enthusiasm goes on, but the end is near. A, a, an ending to the um, continued um, services has begun. Last night at 7.30 p.m., they concluded the 24-hour public worship and have closed the, the hall where this is taking place, the, the auditorium that they use for chapel. And this, this isn't a dedicated chapel. It's the campus auditorium. So it's used for all sorts of things, but it's also used for the chapel gatherings. Um, it's not a local church. We, we, we understand that. So they've, they've ended the 24-hour meetings last night at 7.30. The chapel is going to be open for public worship for two hours in the afternoons, today, tomorrow, and Wednesday. There will be student-only meetings 
every evening this week, and that's 25 years and under. So you want to restrict it to students. And the final meeting is going to be Wednesday evening. Now, interestingly enough, this was a previously scheduled meeting. This is nothing new. This has been on the schedule for a while because apparently it's the collegiate day of prayer. This is, I don't know whoever sets these days of whatever. I, I don't know who, who is organizing the collegiate day of prayer. This is not a feast given to us for observance in the Bible. Um, but the collegiate day of prayer is Wednesday, I guess. And so this meeting has been on the schedule for a while. And that is going to be the concluding meeting of this period of revival at Asbury University. So, last week I referenced Asbury's history of revival. I, I talked about, you know, that this had happened before in 1970. Well, 1970 wasn't the only time. This is from the Asbury University's own website. It says, Asbury University has been known throughout the years for its history of great revivals. There have been several occasions when significant moves of the Holy Spirit have swept the campus and reached across the nation. So listen to the dates. February 1905. During a blizzard, a prayer meeting in the men's dormitory spilled out to the rest of the campus and the town of Wilmore, Kentucky. February 1908. Revival broke out while someone prayed in chapel. The revival lasted two weeks and was signified by prevailing prayer and intercession. February 1921. The last service of a planned revival lasted until 6 a.m. and services were extended for three days. February 1950. A student testimony led to confessions victories, what does that mean, and more testimonies. This went on uninterrupted for 118 hours and became the second leading news story nationwide. It is estimated that 50,000 people found a new experience in Christ, again, what does that mean, as a result of this revival and witness teams that went out from it. March 1958. Revival began in a student fasting prayer meeting that spilled over into chapel and lasted for 63 hours. February 3, 1970, Dean Custer B. Reynolds, scheduled to speak in chapel, felt led to invite persons to give personal testimony instead. I, I need to comment on that. Um, I, the entire time I was pastor at Parkside, I was bivocational. And, and for much of that time, I worked full-time at the sawmill in Missoula. And there were times when work, you know, you're working full-time, and both pastoring and, you know, working my job at the mill were both full-time occupations. And there were times when, because of work, you know, overtime, filling extra shifts, whatever, I may not have had the preparation time to finish properly for Sunday morning. And so there were times when 
we would do something else. Um, uh, typically for me, it was Q and A. We, I, you know, I'd tell people, Hey, it's been a busy week. I haven't been able to finish preparing my sermon. So I want to, rather than bringing you an incomplete and unprepared message, I want to finish it and I'll bring it next week. But, you know, this morning, you know, I want to talk about some stuff and I'd do a, maybe a short devotion and then ask people if they had any questions about God, the Bible doctrine, whatever. And we would, we would explore it. Um, so I, and when I see something like this, you know, the, the, the Dean of Students, Custer B. Reynolds, scheduled to speak in chapel, felt led to invite persons to give personal testimony instead. Folks, he didn't have a message. I'm just being honest with you. He wasn't ready for chapel, and so he hurriedly came up with something else to do. Um, and I'm not faulting him for it. Like I said, I understand, you know, he wasn't the chapel preacher full-time. He was the dean. Deans are busy. And I understand if he didn't have the time to, to finish as he, you know, something happened. He may have had, you know, three, four hours blocked out to, to write his message. Uh, and, and there was an emergency on campus and something he had to deal with in his role as dean, and he wasn't able to get to it. I don't know. But when I read something like that, I'm like, yeah, he, he wasn't ready. He came up with something to do. So, anyway, so he says, uh, he felt led to invite persons to give personal testimony instead. Many on campus had been praying for spiritual renewal and were now in expectant mood. Soon there was a large group waiting in line to speak. A spirit of powerful revival came upon the congregation. The chapel was filled with rejoicing people. Classes were canceled for a week. During the 144 hours of unbroken revival, but even after classes resumed on February 10th, Hughes Auditorium was left open for prayer and testimony. These sessions were presided over by Reynolds, Clarence Hunter, and other faculty. Some 2,000 witness teams went out from Wiltmore to churches and at least 130 college campuses around the nation. In March 1992, a student confession during the closed chapel of the annual Holiness Conference turned into 127 hours of prayer and praise. February 2006, a student chapel led to four days of continuous worship, prayer, and praise. Now, I tweeted after looking at this, and of course now, February 2023, I tweeted, funny how they're all in February, March. I never knew the Holy Spirit was seasonal. The more I look at what's going on in Asbury, the, the more I have to come to the conclusion that this is part of the culture of this university. Uh... I don't see it as a, a true revival. Although, I, I'll be honest, you know, I did a search in the Legacy Standard Bible translation. The word revival doesn't appear even once. 
is it a biblical concept? Now, we have seen large conversion events where people came to faith in the scriptures. Um, there was you know, Nineveh under Jonah. You had the returning exiles under Ezra and Nehemiah. You had, you know, the day of Pentecost in, in the book of Acts. There have been large-scale conversions, you know, the first great awakening in the United States in the 1740s. So you've had large-scale conversions take place, but they're not normative, nor are they to be expected. And so when I, I've, I've been looking and reading and thinking a lot about our concept of revival and where this came from. And I really do think that our concept of revival comes from the culture of revivalism that has permeated American Christianity for the last 200 years. The first great awakening was a genuine time of, of renewal and repentance and evangelism in the United States. And it was based on solid doctrinal preaching. The second great awakening was artificially manufactured. It really was. It was people wanted that same thing. So 50 years later, they began, you know, it began to become a period of emotional manipulation. And revivalism was born. Now we see revivalism and, and Methodist, you know, the Wesleys and, and Methodism has always been very emotional and very driven toward this thing. And Asbury University is a Wesleyan holiness university. Notice that several of those revivals that I just listed took place during regularly scheduled revival meetings, holiness conferences, etc. I mean, and this one that's currently going on happened preceding a regularly scheduled collegiate day of prayer. It's a cultural thing. I mean, you know, these things always, always happen in February. I think this is a time of time of year when the, the campus kind of pushes this sort of thing. Not expecting two weeks of nonstop, you know, uh, activity in the chapel, but they have, a, they have a scheduled revival. They have a time of spiritual renewal. They have a, 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 you know, an urging for people to get serious about their faith on their schedule. And, and so these sort of things happen. So our concept of revival comes more from religious tradition than from scriptures. And, and, and our, our view of Christianity has been greatly shaped by revivalism. Also, the last hundred years, you know, and, and really 
predating the the uh, the the Azusa Street. That that was called a revival, if I remember, the Azusa Street revival. But the 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 beginning of charismatic worship in the United States. The charismatic movement has greatly shaped a lot of Christian thinking, not just evangelicals. It's permeated Roman Catholic and Orthodox. It's, it's you know, I mean, you have tongue-speaking Roman Catholics. You have tongue-speaking Greek Orthodox, which are, are, are heavily influenced by the, the charismatic movement. Um, modern worship, the way most churches do their church service, really comes out of Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel and the Jesus movement of the 60s and 70s. No, that was it was it was uh, Calvary Chapel that gave rise to Maranatha music, and and many of the songs that I grew up singing in high school in the 80s at camp and whatnot came out of the Maranatha songbook. So, you know, you you've got this this concept of worship that really isn't drawn from scripture. It's coming from culture. And that's been part of the the, the worship of the church. And and that's this this churchy culture, this traditional and traditions only going back 50, 60 years, or there's still traditions, right? Traditions start somewhere. So this this traditional thing, it 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 really is something that we need to be aware of is that, that, that this culture has been shaped by relatively modern traditions, not by scripture. True spiritual awakenings happen because of biblical preaching, faithful gospel presentation, the call to repent and believe. It's not endless hours of doctrinally flawed worship music. And according to reports, most of the music that's being played at this revival in Asbury University is Hillsong, Bethel, um, elevation type music. They're not dealing with doctrinally sound music. There's no doctrinally sound preaching. And Excuse me. So it's it's a very shallow worship. And I always think of, of something that John MacArthur said, and I've heard him say it more than once. He says, worship can only go up as far as depth in doctrine goes down. That if you want to have truly elevated worship of God, it has to begin with truly deep doctrinal teaching. Because the deeper your understanding of God, the richer is your worship of him. And so shallow teaching leads to shallow worship. And that's what we're seeing. 
not just at Asbury. This is what we see throughout the throughout evangelicalism in America and in the West. Now, I yeah, I don't know what evangelical churches look like in Europe. Um, I've never you know been able to attend them. They don't have um, the same diversity of denominations and et cetera um, that we seem to have here. Amer- and I think a lot of that comes from America's extreme individuality and individualism, another cultural influence. So true spiritual awakening will be emotional. It can be very rich emotionally, but it's not going to be driven by emotion. It's going to be driven by sound biblical preaching. So the, the, the ordinary means of grace, reading your Bible, attending church regularly, a, a daily time of devotions, you know, it's, it's, it's Psalm 1. It really is Psalm 1. Psalm 1 has been formative for me, and it needs to be formative for all of us in our daily walk. Because Psalm 1 says, you know, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And so this is someone, the blessed man of Psalm 1, who doesn't follow after the world. He doesn't get his ideas from ungodly culture and ungodly people. He gets his ideas from the Scripture. He meditates on the scripture. He delights in the scripture. Folks, there you go. That's that's the key. That's the key to Christian living from day one. Um, That's the Psalm 1 parallels the Great Commission in Matthew 28. So we see this that, you know, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And the all that I have commanded you, when Jesus says that, I, he is not talking about the red letters. He's not talking about the things only that he had said in his incarnation. He's talking about all of the, the Theanustas scriptures, the God-breathed scriptures. That's what he's talking about. That's where we delight. And that is where we draw our, we find God's will. And so, and so I encourage you, be in the scriptures. That's where you're going to find true renewal for your soul. Okay. You can tell my voice is fading. I'm kind of fighting it today. And I do want to keep saving my voice. So I'm going to do one more quick story, and then we will uh, conclude today's podcast. Political correctness and classic literature. Now, Roald Dahl is a children's author, was a children's author. He died in 1990, so he's a relatively recent children's author, 20th century. Wrote some classic books. These are books I grew up with. These are books that I devoured as a, as a child. Um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, James and the Giant Peach, 
You know, these are great books. These are books I read to my daughter. These are books my daughter delighted in. Well, political correctness has struck the, the Raoul Dahl literary world. Apparently, I didn't know this, but apparently Netflix has bought the rights to all of his writings, including publication rights. They own Raoul Dahl's books now. And they have reissued his books, new editions of his books, which happens from time to time. You know, they'll, they'll get retypeset, they'll get new covers. Um, you see this all the time. You go, go to a bookstore and, and books are being reissued. And so, I mean, this has happened throughout history. I have, I mean, I have uh, some Edgar Rice Burroughs books. They're not first editions and they've been, you know, retypeset and, and everything, you know, and I go to the store now, if you can find them, they're not, they're harder to find now and they may be out of print, but you know, Edgar Rice Burroughs Tarzan books, the covers don't look like the covers that of the books that I got when I was in junior high and high school. So, you know, they, they've changed them and they've updated them and everything. And that's, that's not unusual. And with older works, they will often update spelling because words have changed in spelling over time. And it, it, it's interesting. And all you got to do is go out and read books from, you know, 150 years ago. The, the appearance of it's not just the wording. The appearance is different. The type looks different. The things were different. Things change. So it's not unusual to have updates of that type done. But this is from the Associated Press. Let me read this. A review of new editions of Dahl's books, now available in bookstores. So these are in print now. Shows that some passages relating to weight, mental health, gender, and race were altered. The changes made by Puffin Books, which is the, the publisher, a division of Penguin, Penguin Random House, were first reported by Britain's Daily Telegraph newspaper. Changes in language regarding weight, mental health, gender, and race were altered. Now, the reason is they are trying to remove offensive material. This is political correctness. Folks, newsflash. There are things in this world that may offend you or someone else. Get used to it. Political correctness is destroying our culture. I mean, it's, it's things like, you know, comedy, you can't make jokes about stuff. Um, and, I mean, the, one of the very best anti-racist movies ever produced was Mel Brooks's Blazing Saddles. Now, not a Christian movie. It's got a, quite a bit of crudity. But it's hilarious 
and it exaggerates racist attitudes to make the point that racism is stupid, that racism is, is not beneficial, and that, that, you know, but it does it by portraying racism outlandishly. So you have racist language used throughout the movie. Quite frankly, that movie could never be made today. It couldn't be made today, even though it's a, it's a wonderful anti-racism movie. Not for children. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not endorsing the movie. Um, but it is a movie that I find outrageously hilarious. In, in, because it portrays, and, but it, I also find it extremely anti-racist and helpful in that regard. And I think that movie and its popularity, because it was hugely popular when it came out in the 70s, that movie helped advance the end of racist attitudes in America. It helped improve relations. And, and so it's a good thing. Now, I'm using racist in the current vernacular. There is only one race. It's the human race. But ethnic prejudices exist, and that's what this was. Ethnic prejudices are the, are the, the fruit of unrepentant um, fallen hearts. So the, the political correctness is destroying our culture, not just in killing comedy, but it, it, it's... It's ending disagreement and debate. It's groupthink. If you do not think and express your thoughts according to the approved party line, you will be canceled. You will be shut up. You'll be fired. You'll be blacklisted. And we've seen that. Huge thing going on right now about the fact that one of the most popular video games today, on February 20th, 2023, one of the most popular video games right now is a new Hogwarts Harry Potter game. And it's a game set in a time before the Harry Potter books, but it gives you a chance to play a you know character in that Harry Potter world. Well, that... The, the J.K. Rowling has been canceled because while she is extremely liberal, very much a feminist, and not opposed to transgender rights, sadly, while that's true, she also has made public statements that there need to be safe spaces for the protection of biological females. And, and specifically, um, crisis centers where um, women victims of spousal and partner abuse can seek shelter. She says, those should be biological women only. We shouldn't be having men in there who have transitioned because 
of a you know the high threat environment. The other one she says is is incarcerations, prisons, self-identifying transgender women, men who say they're women, shouldn't be allowed to be housed with biological women in prison. And honestly, we've seen folks the pregnancies and stuff from these men, women that, you know, men that claim to be women and get sent to, to women's prisons. There have been reports of rape. There have been reports of pregnancies. And I mean, they're men. You're housing men with women. But anyway, because just those two, two exceptions to universal transgender rights that J.K. Rowling has expressed, she is now persona non grata in leftist culture. Even though a dozen years ago, she was held up as a great feminist model and icon. Same things happened to Martina Navratilova, you know, world-class athlete and feminist and uh, lesbian activist, you know, gay rights activist. She too has had trouble. Her trouble is is biological men saying they're women and competing in women's sports. She's like, no, that's not fair, um, and it isn't fair. And but because of that, she she has received this cancellation too. This groupthink, this c- political correctness, it's. It really is destroying our culture because it is removing the ability to debate and discuss real issues that need to be dealt with. It's also removing the ability to point out that the emperor has no clothes. (laughs) You know, uh, trans women are not women. Trans women are men pretending to be women. Flat out. It's a product of the depraved mind of Romans chapter 1. These are people who have rejected the creator and the created order, and they think they know better than God. They don't. It is a sinful expression. And the fact that they're trying to keep you from even being able to say that, you know, there's, that's why I don't webcast on YouTube anymore. I couldn't have said what I just said. And so, you know, that's something that that we need to be aware of, that this is damaging to society. I do not think Orwellian is an overused descriptor. We are seeing played out in our world, in Western culture, everything George Orwell warned us against in 1984. The group think, the political manipulation, the emotional manipulation, it's, it's all right there, and it's all right in front of us, and it's unavoidable. And we need to be aware of it, and, and this, this re-editing of Raoul Dahl's books to take out offensive language is just another symptom of it. 
and it's a, a horrible symptom. Are, are they going to, you know, there've been there's been talk for years about redoing Huckleberry Finn because it uses the N word. Well, it doesn't. Again, it's not a racist book. Mark Twain doesn't use the N-word in any narrative passages. It appears in dialogue from characters in the book. And quite frankly, that was not an unusual word at the time that the books are set. And so by accurately reflecting what people really would have said at that time, that's not... Huckleberry Finn is not a racist book. Jim is held up as an admirable person. And and the fact that he is uh, treated as he is is not at all lauded in the book. So, you know, think about that. Um, but, you know, are they going to try to rewrite Huckleberry Finn? It's actually been discussed. There's there's been discussion of canceling Mark Twain because of dialogue in some of his books that accurately reflected the language of the period. I was born in 1965 in Georgia. We left Georgia in 1977 and moved to Montana. From 1965 to 1977, I heard the N-word a lot. And it wasn't even always hatefully used. It was a common word used to describe dark, dark-skinned people of African descent. And it would be used conversationally, not pejoratively, but just, you know, like, you know, I saw a dude down at the store. They might say, you know, I was talking to this dude. You know, the dude was a black guy. They might use, I was talking to this inward and it's not not even not even meant to be pejorative it's just descriptive now a lot of people used it as 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 uh, pejorative and it was certainly a racist term but people weren't even aware of it you know now there's nothing wrong with being made aware of it there's nothing wrong with having some self-awareness of how we use language but when you're doing you know a period piece where you're talking about something that happened in the sixties and seventies and you use the word to accurately reflect dialogue at the time, that's not something to be canceled over. And it's something that, because you can't honestly talk about things if there are certain words you cannot use in talking about them. So political correctness is destroying dialogue and it's destroying debate and it is damaging our culture. And and it's it's something to be decried. It's it's a sad development. All right, well my voice is gone on about as long as it can go on. I had some other stuff to talk about, but I'm going to skip over them and let us end with the Collect for Grace as we pray for our day ahead.
Let us pray. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings may be ordered by thy governance to do always that is righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, folks, do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster. 